Hi, everybody. David Knorr back with you after a week of uh, being away. And it was great to see that my co-host, Randy Seidel, held the fort down. Hello, Randy. Hey, Knorr. How you doing? We, we survived barely. We had one little technical glitch, but uh, certainly great to have you back. And very excited and pumped to have uh, Latney with us this week. I was going to say, uh, Latney is our guest. Hello, Latney. Hi. I'm excited to be here. It's great to have you, and, and, and I got to tell you, you're an anomaly in a good way because a lot of our past guests have been predominantly kind of sales leaders and some even some channel leaders, and you're here to represent all that's great about marketing. I'm a fox in the hen house, maybe. Right. <laughs> we're going to talk, talk a lot about the relationship and the good the good struggle between sales and channels and marketing, so it's great to have you. Let's start with an overview. So for those that may not know as much about your background, can you just give us a, uh, an overview of your professional background, where you've been and what you've done today? Sure. So I have a very, very random background. I actually started in accounting, uh, but Randy and David, I'm dyslexic. Nobody wants a dyslexic CPA. <laughs> <laughs> so that didn't last long. So I, I moved into consulting and then eventually found my way to selling. I loved selling. Um, I was a frontline sales gal and, and also a sales leader and then accidentally got uh, brought into marketing and the rest is history. So I, I joke a lot about being a recovering uh, sales gal. I've been in recovery now about six years though as a, as a CMO I was a CMO at Aperio, which is was a very, very large independent uh, professional services firm focused on cloud and customer experience and worker experience. And then now I get to be the CMO here at SixSense, the leading account engagement platform. So, so it's been an interesting ride. That's a great background. What a, what a diversified background. For those that may not know as much about SixSense, give us an overview of what do you guys do and the fundamental problems you solve. Yeah. So, so if, when you think about, and I know we're going to talk about sales and marketing alignment uh, later, but we believe that one of the, or at least I, I believe and Sixth Sense believes like, Hey, we all get along. We're all friends. We all just want to win. We have a great time at club. Our issues, <laughs> our issues are really seeped in um, lack of insights and then uh, difficulty coordinating execution. And if you start to zoom out and think about the technology and, and how our tech stacks have, have come about, um, we have tons of data. There's data in your CRM. There's data in my marketing automation solution. Mm -hmm. There's people coming to our website that we have no idea they're on our website. Uh, there's people doing research on our companies. There's people on G2. And it's, we're all operating on these little data silos and trying to make informed decisions. And that creates a lot of problems. So um, one of the first big things that we do is we bring all of that data together so that as a sales leader and a marketing leader, we can actually sit there and say, who are our best customers? Who are our ideal customers? And if you ask a sales and marketing leader who the ideal customers are, and it's like, you know, the dating game where they're in different rooms, I bet you're going to get 65 different answers typically, right? That's a problem. We don't want that. <laughs> yeah. 
right? And marketing is operated off of leads. A lead is a contact. What, Randy, when you and, and David, when you coach sales leaders on why deals didn't close, what's one of the top reasons a deal uh, doesn't close? Yeah, they were chasing the wrong opportunity. Wrong opportunity and potentially just single threaded, right? You look right. at 50 deals that you worked and you thought it was a great account and you were working one contact. That's a problem. Right. That's also a problem because marketing focuses on historically on leads or one contact. I'm literally sending you failed opportunities because I'm sending you single threaded things, right? So what we want to do is we want to bring all those insights together to show you who are your ideal accounts? What does an ideal buying team look like? Because we have to work an entire buying team together. What are our most effective channels? What do our prospects and customers really care about? What's the research that they're doing? Because you want to you wanna be the most prepared sales team, right? And I want to put you in a position to shine and be the most prepared sales team. Um, so that's a big part of what we do. And then the other big part of what we do is help coordinate the execution. So think about, um, you know, more and more, we can't just hand things off. A customer doesn't doesn't know what phase in the journey they are and that they're a stage two opportunity, which means a BDR takes the meeting and then goes to this, which means that, right? They just want a great experience with your company. <clears throat> and so how do we bring all those orchestration channels together? Your chatbot, your BDRs, your, you know, that first meeting, your demos, and make sure they're very, very consistent and kind of orchestrated across sales, marketing, and even customer success. Cool. So that's what we do. We're that foundational platform um, that brings all those insights together as well as helps coordinate execution. For our audience, if you've attended any of our previous sessions, I would encourage you to jump in with your questions, comments in terms of we're going to talk a lot about sales and marketing and channel relationships. Randy, let me go to you with a question. Yeah, I just think in, uh, you know, Latney with the think about what you just said and the uh, sales model or go to market model for six cents, I would imagine traditionally you were maybe kind of on the enablement side, the marketing side as the companies that you're selling to, but probably more and more now it's pivoting that the CROs are also involved in the decision. Is that the case? It's critical. It's critical. And CMOs and CROs, because here's the thing, guys, is that, um, we as leaders in marketing and sales have to become more technical, whether we want to or not. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I, I, I joke about having, you know, 50,000 unread emails. Like I'm kind of a spaz. Like <laughs> I, don't, I don't necessarily want to get more and more technical, but for us to be successful, we have to understand insights and these platforms and be that type of, of leader. Like David, you talked about coaching leaders and you know, when we, when you show up into, in the boardroom, they don't, they don't want um, decisions based on one little example and gut feel, you know, they want to know that you really have done your due diligence and you're on top of your business. And, and so I think our skills have to be, um, we, we just have to dig in, you know, and, and, and I, and I, sometimes I hear leaders say, oh, well, there's someone on my team that's really junior. That's kind of deciding that and this, and you know, that's a shame that like, how do you, how are you going to make sure you make a right decision 
because really every person on in your organization should be running on insights. And that starts with you. So let's let's build on that for a second. Uh, are there some key trends you've observed through this pandemic, Ladney, that you believe are going to continue to bolster Sixth Sense growth and and really the the success? And you know where I'm going to go with this. I'm going to flip the coin and ask you: Are there some trends that could threaten it? So, you know, it's interesting. And I think, Randy, you kind of cued into this. You said, I bet sales is more and more interested in six cents. And that's true. And and the reason why is because I think marketing has has always not always, but in the last certainly 15 years made a pretty big shift to digital. Right. We understand that a ton of the journey is done you know, doing research, you know, using review sites and, you know, on, you know, just on third party sites on our own website before someone wants to talk to somebody. Right. And so we've we've been leaning in as marketers into that and how we help people self-serve and how we help them orchestrate and how we generate engagement and move them along. Right. Well, and that's been happening in sales, but the pandemic really ripped a little bit of a Band-Aid off, right? Because sellers could still pre-pandemic go to a conference, you know, meet people at the coffee station, um, you know, do the golf games, do the steak dinners, which I love, don't get me wrong. That And, and I'm excited for that stuff to, to come back into the mix. But I think what we've learned is that wow, how powerful will it be once as a seller, I start to embrace a buyer's digital footprint as well. So now I don't have, you know, think about when you, when someone ghosts you, it's the worst, right? <laughs> You're like, they're just dark. Well, what if I can show you, yeah, they're dark to your phone calls, but here's what they're doing on the website. Here they, here's what they're doing with their content. Here's what they're doing on your with your competitors. Then you know why they're ghosting you, right? And that can help inform how you get them back to re-engage, right? Or, you know, again, we all know buyers are liars. We love them, but they, you know, I'm, I'm trained in Sandler. He taught me buyers are liars. And, um, you know, they'll say, oh, we're good. No, I got everything I need. I'm just working through the process. And you're like, how come you are like dissecting our pricing page? Like how come you are, you are not good. <laughs> you haven't figured it out or you're not ready or whatever, you know? So, so I think that now that we've started to expose what we call this dark funnel of activity and insight and enlightened sales uh, to that, um, they want, they're not, they don't want to go back. Right. Yes. I still want to, you know, get out and, and see my prospects and, and form relationships. But I, but that digital signal is a competitive advantage. And so we're seeing that over and over and over again. So let me, let me ask you a question that I, that I know you've been asked before. Is, is there a line in which those insights become intrusive? And, and I, again, we're all in sales. We want to drive awareness. We want to create engagement. I get all that. But no, no. So I, I, um, I coach on the four R's of relevance. Okay. And I think personalization can be felt, can feel like a parlor trick, at least to me, like, Hey, you went to UVA. I went to UVA too. Yeah. I don't care. 
Like I really don't. Lots of people went to the University of Virginia. Like I got shit to do. What, what, <laughs> you know, be relevant to what I need. And so these are the four R's that I coach on. One is account relevance. What do you know about the size of this account, the uh, industry of this account? You know, what, what, what makes them an ideal customer for you? And what have you done to help other like accounts? Oh, you, you just went through an IPO. This is how we support that, right? So what's that account relevance? Okay, so that's layer one. Layer two is persona relevance. So you're a CMO in a series B company. You're probably thinking about blah, 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 be more proactively generating demand versus just an inbound, right? Or you're probably thinking about, so account level, persona level, those are two R's. The third R is behavior. So if I'm a BDR and I, I spent a day being a BDR a little while ago, and I tell you, you can waste a colossal amount of time sleuthing around and doing nothing. That's what I found. It was real. I sucked at it. It was like I had all these rabbit holes and blah, blah, blah. So this is where this, this third R is really, really important. If I can tell you the keywords that this account is most researching, shouldn't that be the type of content you send? Shouldn't you put that right in the subject line? If I know that David is researching predictive analytics at the NOR group and he is the head of sales, I should probably put predictive analytics in the subject line and talk about, hey, let me tell you how we've helped companies of your size and people like you with better forecasting accuracy, because that's typically what a salesperson would care about with predictive analytics. So that's the third R. And then the fourth is like the holy grail, which is timing. <laughs> timing, right? Where are they in their journey? Are they about to open an opportunity? Are they comparing vendors? Then that's a different relevance than I just need them to know who we are because I can see they're starting to like wake up and realize they have a problem. And so if I can tell you account insights, persona insights, behavioral insights, and timing as a marketer, as an SDR or BDR, as a seller, as a sales leader, like we can start to be very, very relevant. And I don't think that's creepy at all. I find that helpful. Love that. So Randy, thank you for that. Uh, Ladney, uh, I love those nuggets. So Randy, we've got a question from Tucker. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess uh, Ladney, given everything that you said, uh, then the salespeople just have to qualify that they have money and a done deal. And they'll just be uh, wiring the orders, uh, the orders in all day long. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Lots of our uh, sales uh, sales teams, or its individual contributor, the CEO or CEO, would uh, love to have your your model. And yeah, my uh, yeah, my, my guess is that uh, everything you just laid through is the exception as opposed to the norm. So hopefully, all the uh, sellers at Sixth Sense realize how lucky they are. Anyway, uh, so from Tucker, thanks, Tucker. Uh, love what Sixth Sense is doing. Does Sixth Sense have a preferred sales methodology that's aligned best with intent data and digital signals? Great question. Um, 
We don't have a preferred sales methodology. I would say in the book that um, we wrote and came out in July, we actually show um, our sales stages and we show six sense predictions and kind of how they overlap and what they mean, right? So we show, because a lot of the sixth sense data is pre-opportunity opening, right? So, and that's, and so we talk a lot about a dark funnel because once it's in Salesforce, you're like tracking an opportunity, right? But before it gets in Salesforce, it's like a big hairball of who knows what's going on, right? Um, and so what we do is we shine a light on that pre-opportunity funnel and then provide insights that help with the um, in-opportunity funnel. So a lot of times what we do with our clients is we look at their current sales stages and then we say, okay, if your definition of stage three is blah, 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 this is how you would use Sixth Sense in stage three. So we more like customize to their sales stages, but I do provide an example in the book of how kind of we do it for ourselves. Uh, so, so you're, uh, I'm sorry. So you're kind of the, you know, I'll say Switzerland or the umbrella. So no matter what sales methodology people have, whether it's a formal medic or kind of homegrown, six cents can easily get weaved into that anywhere along the way. Yeah. And I think most people, most people have some form of sales methodology that like sure. that's a stake, but they've seasoned it with a bunch of other stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, we'll take whatever, you know, side orders you put on your steak and seasoning <laughs> uh, and, and, and work with that. Um, I would say just personally, and maybe this is the marketer in me speaking, Personally, what I try to think about less than our stages and what we're trying to do and like what progresses someone from stage two to three in our own minds is I try to think about what what does that prospect need to do or know to advance? Um, and and there's a there's a Gardner analyst called Brent Adamson, I'm like obsessed with him. I'm his like biggest fan girl. He doesn't know who I am, but I think he's so cool. Um, but he's really propagated this challenger buyer and that they have to gain consensus every stage. And, the, and so I've taken that ball and really run with it. And for us at Sixth Sense, what we've done is we've taken every stage, you know, the pre-pipeline as well as the in-pipeline stages. And we've said, what does this buying team need to know or do? And based on what we know they need to know or do, what's the asset that we're going to create, right? So if it's an, maybe it's an ROI calculator, maybe it's a, how does Sixth Sense fit into your MarTech stack, uh, you know, interactive. Um, maybe it's, it's pricing and they're trying to budget for how much ad spend they need. So we have an ad spend calculator, right? So really trying to create almost like job aids, but job aids for the prospect, if that makes sense. Um, and that has been like a real, real game changer for us. So you brought up the, the book, uh, you're author of this best-selling book, no forms, no spam, no cold calls. Where did the idea come from? And can you share a brief synopsis with our audience? 
Yeah. So I, um, kind of a weird, so, so I, I was at a Perio and I thought that I had like an awesome job. <laughs> um, you know, I had a big marketing team, um, global, you know, and everything was going great. We got acquired. Everyone knows how that goes. So I was kind of thinking about what I was going to do next. And, um, I, I loved Sixth Sense because I had tried to do account-based at Aperio in the ways that people told, told you to do it. They said, collaborate with sales and get a list of top accounts and then over-invest and do all these personal landing pages for every single one of those accounts and, and do a pilot first. And, and um, the whole thing just died under its own weight. I mean, first of all, when you go around and you ask sales, like what accounts to focus on, they're going to give you the worst accounts ever, the ones they cannot get into. Also, there's a fairness thing where it's like, well, Japan needs to put an account in there because we need to <laughs> she has an account and we're trying to break into the retail vertical. And so we dreamed about Walmart last night. So let's put them in there. <laughs> so you end up with this like super hodgepodge list that like you're never going to do anything. Right. And, and so. I just was kind of like when I saw Six Sense's like complete data driven approach, um, I was like, "This is gonna we can I we can really change marketing and sales forever," and that got me really excited. But then when I got to Six Sense, um, I felt like a complete moron because everybody was talking about uh, an, an intent data and a CDP and a you know programmatic, like all these, this jargon and buzzwords and stuff. And I was like, oh my God, I, I had to create a whole glossary of terms. I called it talking nonsense just to keep up with like what the hell was going on. And I'm like, I, so I had like kind of a, um, the door noise is my son. Sorry. <laughs> he's telling me he's riding his bike to the lake. <laughs> nice. Um, sorry about that. That's all right. Um, so, but, but anyway, I just, and, and, you know, I had like this real inferiority moment. Like, what am I doing? I don't, I'm, I don't know what I'm talking about. I need to just cut it. Like <laughs> I'm out. Um, and, and my husband was like, you know, you, you figure things out. You've got this, like, you need to play to your strengths. Like think about, um, where you've been and what, you know, and, and, and I'm like crying. I'm like, I have no strengths. You know? <laughs> He's like, seriously, put your big girl pants on. You got this. And so I was like, I do, I do, I have this. I and what I, what we did at Aperio is again, we were maniacally focused on customer experience. And I believed, and that's why I was the CMO of that company. I believe that if you create a great experience for your employees and you create a great experience for your customers, and and that and a great experience relies on data and insights. And that companies with superior data and insights and experience will outperform time and time again. And that was what I consulted on. That is what we did at Aperio. And I was like, okay, so that's what I know. Now let me look at the MarTech and sales tech industry. And when I had put that lens on it, it's kind of a mess. And, and what I found was that a lot of the systems 
especially the foundational systems. Like if you think about a marketing automation platform, they're set up to automate and get an email. They're set up to get an email with a form, which I don't know about you, but I hate filling out forms. They're sent out to send a colossal amount of emails. Again, I'm at 58,000 emails. I don't need any more emails. And I and then they arbitrarily score things as a marketing qualified lead. And so sales is kind of left with staring at a quota and an account list and having to make a ton of cold calls. And I'm like, this sucks. This doesn't work at all. And so I said, you know, here we are. We've got all of this amazing technology, all this amazing um you know, data, we're, we have to create a way to deliver double our goals or double our revenue at an industry leading CAC. We have to be able to do that with experience. And that means we are going to set experience up with no forms, no spam, no cold calls because prospects don't like that. (laughs) And I don't think it works anymore. Um, And so that's kind of what, that was our, we called it project bold moves. That was kind of our bold objective and you know if you're going to come to one of our dinners we we do use a form because we want to make sure you're going to come and find out if you have dietary restrictions and things like that so we have sort of rules about you know how we use these different things but that's our mantra is to be able to do that and so i didn't set out to write the book i set out to change the game and as we were doing it i started advising companies and talking to people and i started sending the same notes over and over again and the same templates and the same workshops and i'm like i just gotta write this all down in one place so that's that's what we did and then we put it out in july so the the book just sorry so i can i can uh uh, summarize the book is a set of best practices. The book is what, what's, what's the, what's the synopsis of the book? Yeah, it is like, it's a field guide, right? So, you know, I start out with the impetus to change and why change um, in the beginning, but then I really go through, here's the five-step process. Here's examples of the five of, of how we've executed that, how customers have executed that. Um, And uh, so just really trying to, to be, very practical. Love that. Randy. Yes, I guess uh, I have kind of two, two questions. Uh, first one is, I guess, your definition of a marketing qualified lead would be far different than kind of what the in- industry is doing today, correct? Yeah. So, I mean, typically the way people score a lead is can be somewhat arbitrary. So it's like right. a points system. And um I, I we we trust AI, which can be back tested, which is like a system that, you know, it's just math, like how statistically accurate is this going to convert? Um, and then we look at a, a bunch of different scores, you know, account scores, persona scores, behavioral scores and the timing that I talked about earlier um, to actually tell you where that sweet spot is. And so that that's what we really Based on go-to-market energy around. Yeah, yeah. My, my observation, I guess, would be kind of similar to I think most tech companies would say, okay, if you're thinking about a, a cake being the ultimate sale, here's the uh, the the flour, the dough. People set them all marketing qualified lead. Your definition, hey, the cake is a little bit more baked and better when when it gets hand sales. But uh, the, the the follow-up uh, tied in with that. I meant to ask in the beginning, but 
um, you intentionally have your title as chief market officer, not chief marketing officer. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so I, um, it, it wasn't my idea originally, the, the, the move to chief market officer. It's a woman named Christine Heckert, who's actually a CEO now, but she was a, a CMO for a long time. And she just was, we, we were at a networking retreat that we run and she said, guys, we are showing up and David, you'll like this. We're showing up talking about our ings. This is how many leads. This is how many white papers. This is how many blogs, you know, the, the chief finance officer doesn't show up talking about his, his or her ings, how many times they close the book, how many forecasts they built, like, we need to come showing up as the voice of the market and really own our function. And so that stuck with me. And it took me a while to change the title because I wasn't sure I was living up to it. Um, mm. But uh, I feel now in a place where I'm, I'm always working on it, but, but I feel like I can have that, that title now. Let me, let me uh, Ladney, let me build on that. Do you believe... I often talk about don't confuse your output with your outcome. Do you believe what you just described is one of the strategies, maybe one of the tactics, one of the approaches that is just not working with the traditional approach to uh, to to marketing and leads and kind of feeding the the sales force with with leads, if you will? Yeah, I mean, destiny follows story and what's the story we're telling ourselves as an ing it's we did more and you know we're crushing it we're we're we did all these mqls and meanwhile sales is like not hitting their numbers right or we're crushing it we we did we pivoted to virtual into nine thousand webinars well who cares were they even good? Did anyone even go? Like, did it even matter? I'd rather do one webinar. It's like really good. And like, <laughs> you know, actually worthwhile. Um, and so I just think sometimes in, in marketing, we, we serve, we also serve a lot of functions and that's a misnomer that, that we just serve sales. We serve sales, but we also serve HR. Uh, there's a talent war right now. And, there's a lot that we have to do around branding the company. We serve customer success in a huge way. We serve um, investor relations. Um, so there's just like a lot. I think there's a lot of things that we quietly do. Um, and, and that can be challenging and you can kind of get into the rut of just a big task list. And so to me, having that beacon of what is my real job? And my real job is to show up for someone like you, David, or someone like you, Randy, with the voice of the market. R Randy, uh, you're gonna either cringe or smile at this. I actually spoke to a VP of marketing yesterday. This company is on their five, fifth CRO in the last like five, six years. And the VP of marketing actually raised his hand and said, maybe it's not just these people. Maybe <laughs> we, should, yeah. we should think about cleaning house. Seidel, my question of you is why do you believe that CRO seems to have that target on his or her back that for whatever reason, the numbers aren't happening. So let's just shoot the CRO and, you know, put somebody else in versus exactly what Ladney's talking about. 
Yeah, so I'll, I'll try and keep it short, which is going to be tough. But um, I, I'd say the number one indicator is missing the board plan. So the board goes to the CEO. The CEO, if they're authentic, are going to kind of take the ball and kind of go through what the normal explanation would be. I'd say more times than not, CEO says, geez, it's a sales problem. It's a CRO, right? So that would be bad behavior. That's probably why it happens most of the time. I know specific situations like that. And obviously, if you're what I'd call a more authentic CEO, you're going to peel back onion and say, okay, is there a product market fit issue? Is there an issue with the product? Do we have the right solution set? Do we have the right marketing engine so that we're getting the right leads in, into the sales force? Are we compensating the sales force properly? Do we have a good value proposition? You know, blah, blah, blah. But for sure, I think the, I forgot what the latest is, but I think it would take probably 15 or 16 months is the current tenure, if that, uh, uh, of a CRO. And uh, Latney, you may have a perspective as well. Well, it's interesting. Every time my CEO calls me, I assume he's calling to fire me. <laughs> okay, wait a minute. You're freaking <laughs> awesome. You got to assume, hey, he's calling to give you more stock, give you a promotion, give you more money. No, I think you have to assume. I mean, I don't know. I guess just like you, I know in your role, you talk to CROs every day and probably you get the call. You're probably one of their first calls, right? When Before, before it happens because they say, hey, I've seen the movie. Here's what's coming. Well, I, I am also someone who is really invested in CMOs in, the, in a community. And I'm also one of the first calls. And I just have seen it play out so many times and it sucks. And so, you know, I don't think you can ever assume anything. Yeah. And then today. the other fall would be CEO points to CRO, CRO points to CMO. It's not my problem. It's marketing, right? And That's for whatever exactly reason, it's never, right. and obviously you and I are biased, right? But it's rarely, geez, it's not the product. Because a lot of times the CEOs are these technology founders or tech, hey, product's great. My product's great. It's just the, you know, sales and marketing stink. Well, do you think maybe it's maybe the market or, you know, they think they're smarter than the customers. Well, the customers don't know what they want. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think we talked about, you know, a lot of strategies, tactics, approaches that, you know, is not working in, in other environments. I'm always curious about who's getting this right. Who's doing this really well. Can you think of either a six cents customer or otherwise that you believe has this kind of intelligent, and I'm, and I'm thinking the whole time, it, this is a, a relationship engagement. This is a, a relationship nurturing set of insights that are data-driven. Who's doing this right? Who's really good at this? Yeah, so one of my favorite um, CMOs and, and customers is, uh, is Kay Glebe at OneSource Virtual. Um, so they're on fire and, um, she's got a great relationship with, with sales. They've got a really good channel and customer mark. Like they really focus a lot on, on their channel as well as their customers. So I just think it's an interesting, um, GTM and use case for, for account based. Um, she's all in on the insights and, um, she's also no BS, which I love. Uh, so they're, they're crushing it. Um, and, and I always try to like benchmark and get ideas from her. <laughs> uh, have you gotten to a place where you kind of know some of those attributes of who gets it and who's going to be on board with this approach versus you're going to have to convince somebody and, and it's going to be an uphill battle? 
you know, I, I think it's how hands-on they, they, and, and that's why I kind of led with, um, you know, you know, if you don't want to really dig in and understand it. And, and one of your questions I think is how I learn and I learn by like doing, um, and I always get worried when, when people are like, well, I don't want to get it, like, they don't say they don't want to get their hands dirty, but they're like, well, I'm going to let my team, you know, I don't really get involved in that. I'm kind of up here. And, and I just think today to really understand stuff, you gotta, you kind of gotta really play with it and do it. And that's why I was a BDR for a day before I took the team over. I'm like, I haven't run a BDR team in five years. Mm. my experience is old. <laughs> Let's be honest. Like I got to go and do it. Um, and then I can kind of figure out the strategy. So anyway, that's, I guess. For, for our audience, if you've joined us late, you've been listening to uh, Ladni Conan, the chief market officer at Sixth Sense. Some great insights uh, in terms of technology, marketing, and really intelligent data-driven ways to understand that buyer's journey and kind of what they need, when they need it, and how to be relevant at the right time and of their, on their environment, on their their timeline, if you will. Randy, let me go to you with a question. Yeah, absolutely. Great, great insights, Latin. Thanks. What about uh, words of wisdom or feedback for any uh, SDRs that we might have listening? You know, um, I I always encourage our team to advocate for themselves. Uh, because and be curious and know great technology and know things that are going to enable them to do their job better because they're the ones doing it every single I, I think sometimes it's a more of a it's an entry level position or it's their first job out of school and um and so they sort of feel like things are going to be done to them right or they're given what they're supposed to do and the reality is they're the ones doing the job and innovation right. happens on the job and innovation happens in the front lines and sales is a ground game and they are like the first line of defense. And so like advocate, if something's not working, I don't want to keep doing it. Right. Right. So I'm always like, raise the flag, raise the flag, let us know if some, or if you network with some other team and they've got some cool way to do things that we don't do yet. Like, Let's try it, you know? Um, and so just kind of like that, that speaking up. And we actually kind of created an interesting role on the team that's somewhat the liaison to, to enable that, to make sure that we're just on top of everything we need to be on top of. So build on that a second. Are there some, again, through this pandemic in the last 14, 15 months, are there some um, strategies that have evolved in that sales marketing channel relationship that you believe is going to have a lasting impact. It's really going to change the way technology, customer engagement, technology sales is going to progress moving forward. Well, I think that you have, and one of our customers calls it a pod. And I think that's an interesting name for it, but regardless of where the leaders 
line up and if, if you report up to the same thing or not, I think there's a frontline pod that has to be established and needs to be using the same um, goals, the, the same data set, the same focus. And to me, that pod would be, you know, the, the AE supported by their BDR or SDR, whatever you call that, supported by like a field marketing or an ABX type function. And those three things have to come together, in my opinion, to create that holistic experience. And so when you think about any change, I would love to tell you all you have to do is buy six cents and like it's going to start raining money. But um, change is people, process and technology. Technology can be a catalyst for change and, and should be great technology should be a catalyst for change. But there's a people element and bringing those people together on the same data again, on the same insights, on the same dash. We have one dashboard across that and it is very transparent. Anyone can go and see if we're making a quota or not for pipeline created at any time. Um, and you can drill down to that pod level um, right there because that that's, again, that's kind of the the, the bones of um, of where pipeline gets created. Randy, let me go to you. Yes. Uh, what was I? Oh, yeah. So on the, uh, I'll, I'll play dev, devil's advocate here. So uh, Latney, we got obviously lots of CRO friends. Lots of them are upset with marketing. They're the spend that's getting wasted over marketing. They could be more, you know, if they had better metrics and obviously did things like you did and make life easier. So a lot of them, you know, for lack of better words, are saying, hey, I, I want to have the marketing function under me. So that's a, I'll see a CRO's view but uh, wondering what you think about that. And then what do you think down the road to say, okay, the kind of go to market function around, uh, you know, CRO, CMO, partner, you know, those, those wrapping up under one. So kind of two, two questions in there. I mean, you know, I, I'm, I hate being an it depends gal because that's such a lame answer. Uh, sure. And so it, it, it somewhat does depend on your size and your scale and things like that. Here's what I will tell you is I'm a pretty high energy gal and I'm willing to work really, really hard. And I have had both sales and marketing. And I will tell you what happened to me was the quarterly daily expectations in sales are right there every day, every second. And it's very hard to give marketing, the truly great marketing, the energy and focus that it needs because typically the purview of marketing is a lot longer. So for me to run a successful program, it might take a year. It might take a year to really work. And when you're a CRO, you're not, you're, it's very difficult to have that level of, of focus and zoom out. And so that's why it, it, if done correctly, it's a good partnership and there should be some friction. Right. And I should be saying, no, yeah, I'm not deploying resources on that because it's, it's going to be little and short term and not affect a lot of accounts. And I have to go unlock a whole new TAM for us that we decided, right. We know we're going to run out of ICP in 18 months and you're going to be pissed that you don't have good territories to assign 
rep new reps to. Mm -hmm. And so I got to go warm that up. What do you want me to do? You know what I mean? And so it just kind of, you need that a little bit of the healthy tension, but again, the data is what doesn't lie. So Randy, let me ask you, let me, let me build on that comment. Um, a lot of investors, a lot of boards um, don't seem to have that longer term appetite. How do you, how do you balance exactly what Ladney just said, which is I need a year potentially to really drive the results from this campaign with, listen, we got to get traction. We got to get logos. We got to get right. That CRO that we hired, we got to get some of that under our belt. How do you resolve that, that kind of friction, that battle? Yeah, I think it's probably two things, uh, expectations and alignment. So from an expectation perspective, it comes to, you know, what's the board, there may be public plan, but kind of what's the board plan that the CEO and the board agreeing to, and therefore the team. So whatever those financial metrics are that are leading the charge, you got to make sure that those are aligned. And a lot of times there's a whole bunch of other politics and agendas that, that come into play around, you know, that. So sometimes people are destined to fail because the CEO signs up for some plan. They goes back to the executive leadership team and the executive leadership team says, what are you crazy? And they say, okay, well, let's try. I had to do it and all that. So that's a whole, you know, that's, that's one story uh, on the expectation side. Then other one is I think just, just alignment. So if it is that, you know, uh, it's CRO to CMO, you know, the, the CMOs are signing up for, okay, here's some tactical short-term metrics, but then together, we have to have a long-term view. And I'd say, I think similar to whoops, what I said before was, I think it's the, what's the strength of the, le of the leadership? What's the strength of the CEO and the ability to be authentic and to be real and to give and get feedback to say, okay, let's, let's have a true team you know, across the board, which sometimes happens, sometimes doesn't. And, uh, you know, this, you know, kind of COVID world or some companies that got a, you know, a monster tail, uh, tailwind you know, behind their backs and then they're cranking. Okay. Does that mean that they had great execution or have to get lucky? The other side, you get some people who are executing great just for a whole bunch of, you know, kind of bad reasons with COVID then fell on their face. Doesn't necessarily make, make them bad. So anyway, I'll stop there. <laughs> so, so, so Ladney, let me ask you, you brought up uh, marketing also serving HR and, and I've, I've always believed that in the war for talent, you know, who wins the talent. So, are, have you found it to be more challenging or less in helping to brand a company to attract and retain exceptional talent? Talk a little about marketing talent that you're seeing and, and it's gotten more difficult or less. Okay. Well, there's a lot to unpack with that. So let me start with, let me, I'm going to start with your last question and then work your work my way back if that's okay. So it's, cuckoo bananas right now uh, I'm, is, I'm sorry is that a technical term is that it a data-driven tech it is yeah harvard so business run, just published a paper on it i run um i run a community uh with another guy matt hines and we have about a thousand cmos in this community and every week we vote on the topic we want to cover last week we decided to cover hiring and comp came up and so there are about 200 CMOs on, on the call. And I said, how many of you recently have interviewed a candidate who makes significantly more than you? Everybody's hand went up. <laughs> it's nuts. I'm telling you, you, you know, 
it's people are people are having multiple offers within a week. We had someone in like a staffing firm and he said it's just it's it's really, really hot and a crazy market. So I don't know what to tell you about that other than that's what I'm experiencing. And we're doing a little pulse comp survey because the Radford data is is just too you know old right now. Um, so I guess what I've always believed whether regardless of the talent market today or or what it was before is that culture is it's hard to define and explain but it's the most important thing and it and it beats strategy every day and i do think that cmos have a big role in being the mascot and the expression of your culture, uh, especially coming from a professional services environment, right? The people were our um, product. And I think if done correctly, it's a huge differentiator for customers. They feel it. They want to be part of your movement. They say, I'm not exactly sure what they do, but I'm, I'm, I'm buying, I want, that is where things are going. I feel it. It's, it's an energy that you create. And that is all about your people. That's how every single person shows up mm. and kind of gives off that energy. And so your brand starts with your people. And, well, and that's really something I take very, very seriously. And it's a lot easier to retain someone good than hire, try to hire and onboard someone new. And um, I tell folks all the time, if you want to get 10% more, you can leave tomorrow. I'm sure there's lots of places you can go get 10% more. Now, I don't want you to go and be able to get 30 or 50% more. Like that's, that's on me. Um, but that 10% is the fact that we have fun every day and that we truly love each other and we're challenging each other. And, um, you know, we're, and, and so that's, you can't find that everywhere. So I'm, good luck. I'm often coaching leaders that the corner offices two primary focus is the brand and the culture. And it's great to hear you bring both of those together. And I love that. You, you know, you're right. The CMO is that mascot. It's that ambassador of who are we really, what do we stand for? And as we see more values aligned between what employees are looking for and what companies identify and really advocate as the values they deeply believe in, that alignment is going to become more critical. So we've got a comment from Robert. Randy? Uh, it's an amazing market. And if you can't inspire your team, they will leave. Absolutely. Your work has to matter. People don't want to know their work matters. They want to know their work matters and you appreciate them. Absolutely. Very well, very well said, Robert. Uh, and then uh, just uh, speaking of which, I want to make sure I don't forget uh, a, a couple of shout outs in there. So, Peter, thank you. And thinking about the sales and marketing tech space, he's an example of a great, great you know, tier one VC that's been in uh, the, I'll say the tech company side of things. And I think like several now are starting to pivot to the, the sales and marketing space. So, Peter, uh, thanks for your kind comments. And then, uh, Latney, speaking of fun, uh, and we had a comment there, I think, from Jeff too, but speaking of fun, you have a, a great analogy between wine and marketing. It's a, it's a long story, but if you can uh, do it succinctly, that'd be great. <laughs> Uh-oh. I, well, I just, 
you know, I was doing all these virtual wine tastings, as I'm sure you guys have been too. And, and, and they, I noticed one of the companies was doing a really nice job, not just saying this wine is this grape and Lola, but they, they really took you on a tour of the, you know, the, the, the soil and why, and how the wind affects the soil and why the founder wanted that property and named the wine after his daughter and Lola and, and kind of going back to, to brand and culture like that, those stories are what attach you to then that wine. Right. And when you have that sip, you're like, Oh, that's, that's, I, I feel like that's, and I think sometimes in sales and marketing, we rush into, this is a Cabernet. It's da, 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 da. It's a lot like we just want to, and we forget the story and the connection and the why. And, um, and so I just was thinking about that and how it, Sixth Sense tells our story and our why and that, you know, our our grapes are the data, you know. Uh, so when we do, so we care a lot about the data and the quality of the data because <laughs> um, that's what goes into making our, our our wine. You brought up earlier that you learn by doing. Can you give us an example? What have you learned recently by by kind of immersing yourself and doing something? Oh, well, I do this coffee and six cents thing with our marketing ops guy lately where I just go in there and we pick a screen and I like just nerd out on the screen. Like, what is this? <laughs> why, why would this be interesting? What, you know, and, and like, how would I, who would use this screen? And the product team really loves it. They think it's awesome. Because <laughs> um, I always have ideas coming out of that. You know what I mean? But um, I don't know, just like, I, I like to get in and touch and feel our product. And um, so that's, that's something. I, I've been known to run my own field events. So I've been going rogue and having a chef at my house and having CMOs over for dinner. <laughs> Love it. So, you know, stuff like that. Love it. So earlier you mentioned, uh, boy, uh, accounting to sales, to consulting, marketing, and thinking about your own professional journey. Uh, Ladney, are there, uh, is there a piece of coaching or advice that, beyond short-term execution or performance or results uh, has really created a, a profound impact or indelible imprint on the leader that you've become? Um, you know, my mom used to always tell me growing up I was my own worst enemy. And I think a lot of type A people, we are our own worst enemy. And and I had a, a really amazing boss who trusted me a lot. And he would also, he would always tell me over and over again, trust your instincts. You need to, you need to do a better job trusting your instincts. Cause I, and, uh, and I feel like the biggest mistakes that I've made have been when I didn't go with my, what I knew was right. And I kind of was like, well, maybe, maybe I'm stupid or I'm not catching on and I'm not seeing something everyone else is. And, so I really try to take a step back and trust my instincts. That's fantastic. For our hey. audience, if you've joined us late, uh, you've been listening to uh, Ladni Konant, uh, Chief Market Officer at Sixth Sense. 
Randy, you want to share a little bit before we wrap up with our audience about the sales community? Yeah, absolutely. So, Latney, just to chime in, you said I've got a, actually a Chicago-based company, Model Royal Solutions. Greg Brown had been a, a mentor of mine for a while as a CEO, and one, one of the several take, great takeaways I had from him was uh, he said, if you don't know, you know, which is a way you can kind of go through all your analytics and objective profile criteria. But to your point, hey, if your gut's not there, that, that's usually a good good indicator. So. Uh, you're in good, good company with that. Yeah, so a couple of things. So this is a, uh, a rough draft of uh, my upcoming book called Your Go-To Sales Advisor. Uh, Latinese book, we will also be uh, be posting, but we have uh, uh, all in, I think, 400 plus best practices. We've got over 100 folks from the advisory board and a whole bunch of great content in here. Several people watching, uh, watching this, I'm sure, have uh, participated. So thank you very much. And uh, sales community, uh, our theme is... Uh, learn more so you can sell more. Uh, we have lots of great content. Uh, idea is uh, targeted at individual contributor SDRs all the way on up to CROs and CEOs and really focused in that uh, B2B technology uh, selling side of things and obviously good information for uh, you know anybody interested in sales, but really, really, really focused right there. And we have a uh, still have a no-brainer 30-day free trial. So you can go to salescommunity.com to get that. And obviously, we do the free trial because... Uh, once people uh, try, try it, try us, they stay with us. So please spread the word around the uh, these great podcasts. These are on our uh, website and they're free. Uh, and uh, Six Sense and uh, Latney, you've been, uh, you know, Latney been uh, fantastic and uh, definitely will help you uh, promote promote your, boat, your book after the fact. And uh, Latney, any closing comments for you? I'm glad it's summer. <laughs> there you go. What, what are you most looking forward to doing on the other side of this pandemic? Well, we, so one of our pandemic guilty pleasures, I guess, is we saved a lot of money on vacation. So we bought a boat, um, a ski boat. So we're, and you know, we're really pumped about getting out there and wake surfing and skiing and tubing. My boys, one of them that came in is, um, you know, they're, they're 13 and 14. So it's a real, golden age. They still want to hang out with us and, um, you know, we're going to hang out with them as long as they'll let us. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. So thank you for being our guest. It's great to have you for our audience. Uh, each Wednesday, typically around noon Eastern, we have a different guest from the technology sales, marketing channel community. Hope you'll come back on behalf of Randy Seidel and sales community. I'm David Knorr. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. Thanks, Thanks everybody. everybody.